Beginning in the first verse, we read, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Can you see him? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you die, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let us pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. In 1980, astronomers discovered the atmosphere surrounding the Earth is like a stained glass window. When scientists attempt to study the planet and other galaxies, with traditional land telescopes from observatories or observatories on Earth, the pictures were blurred and shadowy. They were like taking pictures without a flash at night. The Hubble Space Telescope was created and launched in 1990, this $10 billion camera named the Hubbard Space Telescope takes pictures in ways that no land-based telescope can. You're excited about that, aren't you? The reason is threefold. The Hubble Space Telescope views is unhindered by the Earth's atmosphere because it is located above the Earth in space. We got that? All right, I'll be testing you after the message. <laughs> Secondly, it is stationary. The Hubble Space Telescope travels around the Earth at five miles per second. That is, as fast as driving from the east coast of the United States to the west coast in 10 minutes. That's fast. Thirdly and lastly, the Hubble Space Telescope doesn't create light to take pictures. Now, this blew me away. It doesn't create light to take pictures. It responds to the light of the object it is photographing. In other words, the Hubble does not take pictures of everything it passes when traveling around the world. It only takes pictures when the light appears. The Hubble, scope tele the whole, the Hubble Space Telescope does not focus on the darkness. Now it gets deeper. The astronomers that view the pictures that are transmitted back to the Earth interpret what they see based on their scientific training. So the astronomers, they're getting the pictures from the Hubble scope that are being transmitted from space back to Earth, unhindered, no shadowy, shadowy, views, shadowy views, crystal clear because the Hubble scope is in space and what they do, they speak to graphic computer artists, and they explain to the artists what they have seen based on the pictures that have been transmitted from the Hubble scope. And it's up to the graphic artists to send us pictures about what is going on out of space that we would not otherwise be seeing because of the shadowy uh, stained glass atmosphere that we can't see through so that you and I, whether you know it or not, can continue to pay towards the $10 billion price tag to see things that we would not otherwise 
be able to see. As believers, we don't need a $10 billion Hubble scope to see beyond the earthly realm. However, we do need supernatural vision and focus to see past this world's atmosphere, which is darkness caused by the God of this world, Satan, who is referred to in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, as the prince of the power of the air. The air refers to an invisible realm above the earth where Satan and demons move and exist. There is an invisible, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, and wicked, and, and wicked in, in, in high places or heavenly places. And so the realm where Satan exists is in the earth's atmosphere, and because Satan and demons are invisible, we can't see them, but they exist and operate and will power on the earth because the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. And so I don't need a telescope to know that. But I do have to have supernatural vision to understand that what really counts down here on earth is happening above me in the atmosphere where there's demonic forces that are fighting against the angelic host of God. Like the Hubble Space Telescope only focuses on light rather than darkness, you and I must learn to see past the darkness into the heavenly realm. There's a heavenly realm, but we are surrounded by darkness. But in order to see what is going on in the realm where God operates, I need to focus on the light. Say the light. What God reveals from the heavenly realm where he resides enables us to shine his light on this world's darkness and walk in victory. In order to see the light that God would shine on the situations that we find ourselves in, the darkness that is cloaked by the enemy himself, Satan, we must focus. We must focus on the light. Second mile Christians are not restricted to what we can see with our natural eye. You have to learn how to see your life experiences from God's point of view. You need to bring the lens of eternity into focus as you're looking at your temporal, finite experiences in order to walk in authority that God intends for us as Christians. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and believe it or not, I worked on that illustration. I really did. And it's a good one, but it didn't, nah, we, we kind of worked, walked our way through it. But that's a good one. We'll keep on going. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, in the heavenly realm, above the atmosphere where Satan and demons exist and execute their spiritual power over the hearts of men. Seek those things which are above in Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. I want to briefly share some reasons why you and I as Christians are able to look beyond whatever you're going through, Whatever is facing you in the near or distant future, God has shown us how we can execute the type of vision that can cause me to have hope at the worst time in my life. First of all, I want to consider with you the fact that I can focus on the light. I can focus on that which is above, on the heavenly realm where God reigns and his authority is available to me because the scripture, will, we will see, is because I can. I can focus on that which is 
above. I can focus on the light. Say, I can focus on the light. Secondly, I can focus on the light because I must. You must do it. You must do it, and I'll tell you why you must do it in a little bit. Thirdly, your life is hidden. Your life is hidden in Christ. That's why you can focus on the light. Fourthly, the reason I can focus on life is because we're his. You are his. You are his. And finally, when I focus on the light, or I can focus on the light, because when you do, you will be rewarded. There's a blessing by having a supernatural point of view about whatever God has allowed you to be exposed to when you're ministering to people, if you can give God's point of view, if you can see it from God's vantage point, you will be rewarded. If you would put on your spiritual eyeglasses, you won't be walking into the wall. You won't be missing the small print because there are things that God wants us to see that are invisible to the natural eye. But when we are connected to the Spirit of God, where the Bible says, eyes have not seen nor ears heard, nor has entered into the hearts of man what God has prepared. But though there's some things that God wants to reveal to show you, to cause you to hear, to give you a word in season, a word in knowledge, that won't happen unless you are focused on the light, focused on that which is above your circumstance that God has allowed. You can focus on the light. I want you to underscore these words in your, in your Bible. The words are, the first words, if you were raised, if you were raised, those four words. The meaning of these words that, that oh, introduce this section of Scripture is you have a, what is called a conditional clause that speaks of a past experience that has occurred once and for all. There's something that Paul says that happened once and for all, and he says, you have been raised. Now, even though in the New King James Version is presented as a, as a question, if you have, it's more accurate to state it as a completed, uh, he's, really what he's saying is, it's a conditional clause. He says, if or since you have been raised in Christ, Therefore, the evidence will follow. The results will follow. So the condition is, if you're saved, then you can focus on those things that are above. So, the condition, so if you're saved, you can do this. So instead of the, the, the uh, prepositional introduction, if, take the word and substitute the word, since you were raised in Christ, we can seek those things or focus on those things that are above. Now, the question for me as we move forward is, have you been raised from above? And what we're told to do is, is revealed in the verb. Notice it says, since you have been raised, you should do what? Seek those things that are above. Amen? Amen. Stay with me. We're getting there. Now, who are those that have been raised? In order for something to be raised, it first has to be what? It had to be dead. So the Apostle Paul is talking about resurrection, something coming back from the dead, and being made alive. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, here are the words that the Apostle Paul gives to us to identify those who he is speaking to regarding being raised. He says, And you he have made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And so the you that Paul is speaking to is every human being born after the sin of Adam in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says, in one being, we all have died. When Adam died, we all became spiritually separated from God. And so the moment that you were conceived and I was conceived in my mother's womb, 
even though there was a pulse that was revealed through the sonogram that the doctor took. And after we were even born and the doctor popped us on the backside and we cried and, and vital signs were taken, there's another stethoscope that doctors don't use. It's a spiritual stethoscope. And when God examines the life that is in a brand new baby's body, from a spiritual perspective, there's a flat line. So while we are physically alive at the moment of conception and birth, we are spiritually as dead as dead can be. And a dead man can't do anything but be dead. And so Paul says, you were dead, and the Lord made you alive. Now, because of our separation, that's what death means in the Bible, the person who finds himself in that predicament, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says that the natural man, the unsaved man, the unregenerate man, the person who has only been born the first time, don't matter how many times you go to church, how many Bibles you read, how many tongues you've spoken, how many times you've been baptized, how many times they done rubbed you in baby oil, how many times you've been, you know, slid under the pews. The Bible says, but the natural man, the sukhanas man, the man who's born in the flesh, cannot conceive, cannot receive the things that come from the Spirit of God. Because they do not, though the things that come from God's Spirit are foolishness, moronic to the unsaved person because they are without spiritual discernment. The presence of God is not in that person's life. So when God is not in your life, it makes sense that when you're facing problems, you're going to try to deal with them on your own, in your own strength because you don't have the view that the believer has who has been changed from the inside out having trusted Jesus. Now how were we who were once dead made alive? How were we resurrected? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which, which he loves us, even when we were dead, separated by our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, by his grace we have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The reason I can see beyond my temporal circumstances, the reason why I don't have to fall apart when things are not going right, the reason why I don't need to give up when I don't need to, when I cannot understand, is because I have been raised up. I have been given eternal life. The presence of God is residing in my life. And what happened was God did it. But God, but God. He entered into my circumstance, and I had a terminal condition that was incurable called spiritual deadness. And then he called a specialist named Dr. Jesus, who specializes in resurrecting that which was dead. If you don't believe me, ask Lazarus. He was dead for four days, and the Lord showed up. And he was able to do what no other doctor can do. He can take that which is dead. We were dead. In our sins, bound for a Christless eternity, when God, by his grace and his mercy, he entered into your circumstance and mine, and he gave you and me life. He gave us the ability to see the light from heaven. When you handle your problems in your own strength as a risen believer, as a born-again Christian, you're acting like God doesn't exist. You're acting like you don't have a personal relationship with him. You have basically told God, sit in the corner, I'll deal with this. And God is obliged to allow you to continue to make a wreck out of your circumstance. But when you understand that you can get a different perspective, the light can come on, the darkness of your circumstance, if you but turn your attention to the, to the love of your soul, 
And so the first thing that allows me to focus on the light, on that which is going on in heaven, to have God's point of view of my situation is I can because I've been raised. I've been raised from my dead situation. And I don't know about you. I don't read about Lazarus going back to the cemetery and saying, well, tonight I'm not sleeping in my home bed. I'm going to go sleep. No, no. When you've been raised, you don't keep going visiting the cemetery. Dr. Jesus, the resurrection specialist, has given you life. Here's a second reason. You must focus on the light. You must take your eyes off of what you can see in your own, from your own understanding. You've got to stop, stop trying to figure this thing out and make it work. Why? Because we're commanded to. You must focus on the light. He says, seek those things which are above where Christ is what? Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not things on earth. Both of those verbs introduce imperatives, commandments. He says, seek those things that are above. That's a command. It's not an option, not a multiple choice. God is not saying, let's have a conference call and let's come to some kind of agreement. Let's come to a consensus. These are commandments. These are absolutes. God says, seek those things that are above and set your mind. This is an act of the will. You can't be in your feelings and do this. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know? We can't be in our emotions and see what is above. We can't focus on the light while I'm, while I'm allowing my feelings to run my circumstances or run, run, my, run, my, run my life during my circumstances. Are you with me? So he says, seek those things that are above. While being raised in Christ or by Christ is a past completed act. It already happened. The moment you trust Jesus, you are resurrected from the dead. And the deadness that you were resurrected from was your past, present, and sin. You're forgiven. You're set apart unto God. But when he says, seek those things that are above, the word seek is a verb. It's an action word that is in what is called the present progressive tense. And what he's saying is this. I want you to pursue, make every effort to be in your daily experience Christ-like in how we live. So he's talking about our practice. He says, find out what God says about how you should live in the Word. Because you have already been raised. You already have the, the God living in you. Now act like it. Right now, every moment, every hour, all the time. So raise past tense, seek present progressive tense, which means that in order to live the victorious Christian life, in order to accomplish the will of God for my life, I have got to be controlled, I have got to be yielded and led by the Spirit of God. It's a decision. It's an act. You must decide today that I am going to put on God's Holy Spirit lenses and I'm going to see and behave based on how he's directing me from his word. Seeking those things which are above speaks about our being a God, godly in your practice. It's a command. Now, when you get an opportunity in verses 5 through 11, it tells us specifically, it says there's some things that you need to stop. There's some things that you need to put off. The reason why we can't see and focus on the light is because sometimes our glasses are dirty by sin. And so he says, put off your former way of living, which was an indication that you didn't know Jesus. But now that you're saved, your fruit ought to be the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. So in verses 5, he said, put some things off, change your clothes. You're not in the cemetery anymore. Put on some new, don't wear, be going about in grave clothes. And so seek those things that are above. Present progressive. One of the things that I really struggled with as a new Christian, I thought once I got saved, I would never be tempted again. I would never use four-letter words. And, of course, when I got married, I, there would never be another woman in the world that I would look at other than my wife. 
Well, one of the reasons I don't, because she's looking at me to make sure I'm not looking at them. <laughs> that might be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so what I would be doing, I would put myself as a college student in particular, that's when I became a Christian, put myself in circumstances and expect God to literally reach down from heaven, tap me on the shoulder, and like a, a bouncer, forcibly escort me out of where I should never have been. I want to tell you a secret. Now, don't tell anybody. That ain't never happened. Sometimes I be quoting scripture, sinning. That's right. Let me just be honest with you. Because I didn't understand that what it really meant when the Bible says, faith without works it doesn't work. It's dead. It's not alive. It's not real. You've got to put leather to your faith. You've got to add obedience to what you know. And until you're acting in obedience to what you know, you don't really know it. You have an intellectual assent, but you don't have a transformed heart. And from God's perspective, that is not, that is not the truth that sets you free. Some of them, well, if the Bible worked, then maybe I wouldn't be struggling. Like, the Bible works. The problem is you ain't working with the Bible. You're not letting the Scripture do its work in you. The Scripture says, he who began a good work will perform it until the day of redemption. But then it asks, but work out. You work out your own soul salvation in fear and in trembling because Judgment starts at the household God. So don't be patting yourself on the back, talking about how saved you are, but you're still living in sin. Judgment starts at the household God. We must walk in obedience. Seek, pursue, make every effort. Be diligent. Just like we try to get on these weight pro programs and we want to keep our physique and we're going to uh, have our endurance and we get upset if we get... You know, we fall off the wagon, and I fall off all the time. <laughs> I just got pillows all around now. But do you get as upset when you're inconsistent in your spiritual development and growth? Are you walking according to the righteousness of God? Are you putting off your former ways? Have you really changed since you gave Jesus your life? Are you struggling five years into your faith with the same things that you were dealing with five years ago? Where is the growth? He says, seek. It's a command. Seek. Go after. Make every effort. Struggle to become everything that the Lord wants you to do. And what happens is your vision is clear because it's not clouded by the dirt of sin. There's a young man. He met a very pretty young woman. He wanted to court her. But he worked at the graveyard. He was a grave digger. That's an honorable profession for some uh, because it's an honest way of making a living. They actually dig the, the graves. And when you're digging graves, you're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to get your shoes dirty. Dirt's going to get in your socks and on your clothes. But he had enough sense to know that whenever he wanted to see that young lady, he wasn't about to enter into her presence with grave clothes on. And so every time he got ready to get in her presence, the closer he wanted to be, the more detailed he was. He got his nails trimmed, and he washed his hair, and he changed his clothes and put a tie on it. The cleaner he was, the more determined he was to be right, to be in her presence, the closer they were able to become. I want you to know sin is like grave clothes. You want to be intimate, you want to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. You want him to draw nigh unto you. But God is not going to draw near to you. He's not going to reveal to you the things in heaven and whisper into your ear those words of knowledge. If you're walking around in grave clothes, if, you, if, you, if your vision is obscured from your lifestyle, seek those things. That's how you get a glimpse of heaven. That's how you see the miracles of God that are right in your face that you didn't notice. Have you ever recognized when you're walking with God, you just hear God more often? You see his presence in situations that were all around you all the time. The difference is what happens is the sin clogs up your ears. You got earwax, spiritual earwax and spiritual cataracts. Walking in righteousness, seeking those things which are above present progressive tense. Here's another thing he says. 
He says, set your mind on things above. While seeking has to do with being godly in your practices, setting your mind has to do with having God's perspective on your circumstances. Say perspective. Perspective enables you to see God's opportunities are greater than your enemy's opposition. Perspective from God will help you to see your enemy's plans. Perspective from God will help you not only to quote Romans 8.28, but to claim it. God causes all things. I don't know what you're going through, but when you see it from God's point of view, there were some children who were crying in the nursery, a director runs in, and what had happened was this little boy was on a terror. He had bitten three kids. He pulled one little girl's hair. And uh, when the director of the nursing uh, facility told the parents, they couldn't, no, not my son. We don't raise him to be like that. He's a very sociable child. He's got, in fact, for his age of four, he's very mannered. And we have never had to even chastise him. He's never been spanked. And if anything, while you're making these false accusations, we might have to uh, pursue litigations against this uh, nursing home. So they said, well, oh, 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 we'll have to go through there, that. Here's what we want you to do. We have a see-through mirror. What you can do, we want you to come and watch your son's behavior from the opposite side of the see-through mirror. So they came, they, well, we don't have to worry about it, we'll get here. So they get there and they're watching on the other side. Now, their son can't see them because that's the blind side. And this dude goes into WrestleMania. He's diving on people and he's pushing chairs over and he's, you know, making himself into a bowling ball and knocking kids over. And they're like, they, they are horrified. Is this really my child? See, what happens is when you can see things from God's perspective. God will have you see what others can't see. And, and, and you can see problems before they even occur. You, you can see mistakes that you should have been destroyed by. You can see things in other people's lives that if you don't speak to them, they will wreck their lives because you're on the other side of the window and you have a perspective that those who are just in the rat race, those who are just in the trial and the tribulation, they can't see themselves as overcoming because they are not receiving from heaven God's point of view of circumstances. Anybody wants God's point of view? Here's what Paul says. He was in prison. He had been beaten. He had been uh, falsely accused. He was rejected by the, uh, uh, the churches, some of the churches he started. And here's what he says while he's in jail. He says, for our light of afflictions is but for a moment. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He said, for we look not at the thing. How in the world could you be in prison? been beaten, left for dead, lied on, times without food, without clothes, misunderstood, mistreated. How in the world are you calling these momentary afflictions? The doctor just told you you had cancer. The doctor just said that your mother only has weeks to live. How is that momentary? How is that affliction momentary? He said, because we look not at the things that are seen. But we look at that which is unseen, for the things that are temporal, the things that I can see on the opposite side of the glass are passing away. But when I get on God's side, when I'm looking at earth from heaven, when hell is staring me in the face, if I get a glimpse of heaven, I can shine the light of heaven onto my hellish situation, and I'll see that God is working it together for my good and his glory. We need to set your mind on things that are above. Focus on the light. 
Yes, don't ignore the reality of the circumstance, but what has God said about what you are experiencing? Is there a word from the Lord about my situation? I declare God has something to say, and what he will say will be a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. God's word will give you direction if you get his perspective. Are you focusing on the light? Or are you paying attention to the darkness? Here's another reason why you can see that. You are hidden in him. Oh, this is so powerful. This, that's a sermon by itself. We just want to touch very superficially. That means that you are covered by the blood of Christ. Every single day, Satan himself goes before the angels in heaven and he makes accusations against you and me that we're not worthy to be saved, that we deserve destruction in hell, that we are failures, we, that, that we can't be counted on. And when he makes those accusations, he is absolutely correct. Because none of us are righteous. No, not one. Our righteousness was received from God, deposited into our account when you trust in Christ. It's not your righteousness. Your righteousness will get you right where Satan and the demons are going to spend eternity. That's called a place, it's, it's called hell. Human righteousness cannot save us. We are saved by the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus' sacrifice. And so when, when Satan says, guilty, God says pardon because he looks at us through the shed blood of Christ. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. It paid the price for every sin that you will ever commit. That's why you can't be good enough. I messed up. I ain't going back to church. I'm not a good Christian. Maybe I need to get prophesied over. Maybe I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and everything else you need when you accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord because in him all the fullness of God dwells. It's an insult to think you need something more than Jesus. You simply need to obey <laughs> the Jesus who's in you. And so we covered by the blood. Your salvation is also completely secure. No one can snatch you out of the Lord's hand. If you're genuinely saved, you cannot be unsaved. If you're part of the body of Christ, he doesn't amputate pieces or parts of his body. You are eternally secure. The, Jesus is the vault that your soul is resting in. The Holy Spirit has the combination, and Jesus is a security guard. I mean, God is a security guard. He's watching over what Jesus has already paid for. Your salvation is secure. I don't know how many older people that I've sat at the bedside with them, they said, I hope I go to heaven. I don't know if I will. And I said, well, what makes you think you won't? Well, I did this 15 years ago, and I never worked it out. He died, and she left, and don't not. If it was based on what you did, none of us would make it in. But because of what he did and the proof that God was well pleased is that he said, if you destroy this body, one of the evidences that the sacrifice of Christ satisfied God's judgment or requirement for my sin is that he got up. And the Bible said he is seated in authority at the right hand of God. Your salvation is secure. Say that with me. It's secure. I'm covered. I'm hidden. You're set apart. Here's another reason what it means to be hidden. It means that not only is my salvation completely secure and I'm covered, but you're confusing to the world. If you're genuinely saved, the Bible says that spiritual people make no sense to those who are unsaved. I don't know why you, why are you praying? Why are you carrying that Bible? Why are you waiting for God to give you direction? It makes no sense to them. And so who you are in Christ is hidden from the world because they can't comprehend what Jesus means to you. And so because I am hidden in Christ, that gives me access 
to places and opportunities in God that the world doesn't have. So I can focus my attention because I'm hidden. I can get into the presence of God because I'm hidden. I can get into the presence of God because I'm covered because of the blood of Jesus. I remember when we were younger, and if you were afraid, you always had a hiding place. It's one thing to have a hiding place, but it's another thing to go to a house where you can hide when an intruder is coming, and there's a sign on the door that said, beware dog. Now, I hope you don't have dogs like some of these, some folk had, dog that'll lick everybody's hand and take some, no, no, I'm talking about killer. Beware killer. And so what happens when we find ourselves overwhelmed and about to give up and feeling discouraged and depressed, we have a hiding place. We can run into the loving arms of the Lord. It doesn't matter what time you're hurting. It doesn't matter how long you've been crying and how desperate you may feel. You can run into the arms of Jesus and the killer that is protecting us, who has a hedge of protection around us, and none, is none other than God himself. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus has hidden us in him by the work that he's done on our behalf, and therefore I can focus. Do you understand your value to the Lord? Your significance is not based on where you work, what, comp, what, what, what degrees you have, or how people assess you. Your value is based on who you are in Christ. He has died for you, are hidden in him. He has raised, that's past tense. You have been raised, and you can seek him and, and become all he wants. Let's run on. You are his, say I'm his. The Bible says, Christ who is our life, when Christ who is our life appears, for uh, he says, who is our life appears. Christ is our life. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What he's saying is, when your walk with the Lord is right, when you are fixing your attention on heavenly things, your greatest purpose and desire becomes Jesus. Your passion for living, the, your itinerary, your daily scheduler, your, your, uh, your plans for your life are not based on your decisions, but you're lining them up with the will of God for your life. Paul says, the most important reason for my life is not for God to give me what I want, but for me to satisfy his will. He says that Christ is, Christ is my life. Is Christ your life? Do you love him like that? Is he your priority? Is he the most, Jesus says, unless you love me more than yourself, you're not worthy. And that's, um, unfortunately, too many of us as believers, in terms of our goal, we're not focusing on becoming such, so deeply in love with Jesus that nothing else really matters. But when, when Christ is the priority of our life, when we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, guess what happens? All of these things, the marriage falls into place. The children uh, come in line. The, the jobs that we need, the finances that we need, when we make the kingdom, is the kingdom of God your priority? What is your bottom line? What, what makes you get up at night? What puts you on your knees? What brings tears to your eyes? Is your heart broken by what breaks his heart? Are you more willing, if it, if it costs you your life, are you willing to lay your life down for Jesus? That's what kingdom living is about. He said, I live for the kingdom. I'm in prison because, not because I like being in a jail cell, but I'll be in jail for Jesus' sake. What are you willing to do for Christ? If it's, if he, is he really your life? Or is it really about your agenda? Every decision that we make, we should be asking, how does this build the kingdom of God? Every decision, if I take this job, if I marry this woman, if I say these words, does this build the kingdom of God? Because only what you do for Jesus is going to matter and last. You are his. You have been brought with a price. You are God's property. That's why we can, we can be so full of ourselves, but when God speaks, that settles it because it's about him. 
You talk about freedom in worship, when it's about Jesus, you don't care who's around. When it's about him, you begin to celebrate in ways that you didn't expect to celebrate. When it's about him, he begins to tell you things that you know you had no business knowing. He begins to open up financial blessing for you, and it wasn't because you worked any harder. You've been working hard all your life. But all of a sudden, when he is your priority, he can trust you with more. You're hidden with him. You're his. And finally, the reason why you can focus on the light, on what is above, that, that which is heavenly, and the heavenly things are in the word. You want to know how, how to live heavenly in a hell, cursed world? Look at the word. That is how we know what our marching orders are. We're almost done. Listen to this. We will be rewarded. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We've been raised with Christ, past tense, completed act. It's already done. Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things which are above. Present, progressive, everyday responsibility. Now he says, future tense. We got something to look forward to. When Christ appears, he's coming back. The scripture, be ye also ready for such a time when you think not. Jesus is, are you excited about that? Christ is coming back. And it says, when he appears in his glory, we are going to, we have already been glorified. And from God's perspective, we already are completed in him. But one day, what is in the mind of God will be our actual experience. The Bible says the trumpet will sound, the dead will rise, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord near. This corruptible body, this mortal body shall take on immortality. This corruptible body shall take on. So he's talking about a time of elevation, a time where we will be totally transformed from this weakened state that is passing away. I can look forward to that. Beyond my, these momentary afflictions, Paul says, are working for me a weight of glory. What is the glory? I'm going to be in his presence, and I'm going to be like him. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear sickness, because when I get into his presence, I'm going to be completely transformed. I have not seen all of the newer movies that are out, and uh, some of them, I tend to see a couple of the ones that are, but what you can do, as I've done in my contemporary thinking self, uh, you can watch the trailer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, see how, see how witted I am? Well, a trailer is what we used to call a preview of a movie. You get to see the highlight. And what you see tends to be the, the things that will make you want to come back, make you talk about it, make you put it on your calendar, make you spend money, make you just kind of salivate. For, oh, I can't wait until the Avengers comes out. I can't wait until Star Wars 15 comes out. I can't wait until Walking the Lion of the Living Dead number 20 comes out and all these other things that are, you know, I can't wait because you saw the trailer. You got a preview. And what the scripture is saying about what awaits us when Christ appeared in his glorified body, we got a trailer from his appearance of what it's going to be like for us when we get into his presence. And I don't have to wait to get to heaven to start celebrating the goodness of God on earth because I've already seen the end, even though I'm in the midst of my valley, even though I'm in the midst of my trouble, because I can look unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. And the Lord told me that one day this body that is travailing like a woman in labor, I don't know about you, but I, every woman that I ever know, when you get down to that 10th centimeter, you ready to drop it in like it's hot. You ready to get that baby out of you. You ready to let that life come to be and to being outside of you. Well, one day we are going to be in that position. We are yearning for that day. But we've got a preview in the person of Jesus. And because I know what awaits me, I can deal with what is in front of me. I can deal with my circumstance. Would you shine the light of God on your circumstance? Would you stop looking at what you shouldn't be concentrating? Concentrate on the light and not the darkness. Stand with me.
There is a bright side, and we know that somewhere is in Jesus. I don't care what your situation, I don't care how dark it may seem, turn the light of the word. The Bible said that you are the light. <laughs> and when you lie, allow your testimony in the most difficult circumstances to shine, that the glory of the Lord will be evident through you. And people will want to know, how is it that you didn't fall apart? How is it that you have wisdom that you didn't get uh, academic training for? How is it that you're able to manage in the way that you've done it? Because we, we get in our orders, our information from heavenly places. Back in the wilderness, when the children of Israel, this is what happens when we are living like we don't know Jesus. We're living in, in our carnal strength, in the flesh. One of the clearest evidences of that is that you'll be a complainer. You won't be thankful. And you don't have to be verbally complaining to be unthankful. Just, you don't ever give thanks. God has blessed you. If you would just look around and say, thank you. He, why should he give you more when you haven't taken care of what he always blessed you with? You haven't even said thank you. And, and one of the things that enrages God, who is rich in mercy, who has saved us by his grace, is a complaining Christian, a complaining believer. And so what the Lord did, he sent a plague of scorpions. And they began to attack the congregation. Thousands died. And then Moses went before the Lord and he prayed. He said, Lord, stop the plague. And he took the rod of, he built a, a rod. It was called Nehushan. And on that rod there was a serpent. And Moses told the people, whoever looks up, you'll live. If you look up, you live. I want you to know that there's a plague everywhere you work, where you live, in your home, and it's called sin. But if you look up, if you get God's point of view, then you can take what God is showing you and tell a dying world, just like I looked up and got my victory, you can look up. And if he who is lifted up is talked about, Jesus will draw all men unto himself. Would you join me in prayer?